You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. There you go. Just say no to should. Just say no to should. We sang that song earlier, let the devil know not today. You should just say not today should. Somebody say it. Come on. Not today should. I'll do anything I ask you. That's all right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Not today should. Hey, I wonder, um, what, was your, what was your first job that you ever had? What was the first job you ever had? CC's? What did you say back over here? McDonald's? Office Max? What, how about over here? Walgreens, Subway. I remember, I remember the first job I ever had. It was at Boston Market. And, uh, and I was the meat carver at Boston Market. And uh, I had a... I had a job description. I mean, it, it wasn't written down. Nobody gave it to me, but they trained me on it. And uh, my job at Boston Market as a carver was to prepare the rotisserie chickens that they had. How, how, how many of y'all like some Boston Market rotisserie chicken? That's where it's at, right? I mean, it's good. It's expensive. Walmart has cheaper rotisserie chicken. Not as good, but that's the way to go. But it was my job to prepare the rotisserie chicken and, and to cook it and to cut it up. And, and, and I would cut up any meat that you ordered. And so I would cut up the turkey and the ham and the meatloaf. Uh, it was my job to package it for you in the, in the plastic um, plates and plastic takeout boxes. And uh, it, it was also my job to clean the rotisserie chicken oven. It was my job to, to do the dishes at Boston Market. And so I did all kinds of stuff at Boston Market. And I knew what I needed to do because my job description told me what to do. And about uh, three or four months after starting work at Boston Market, I got a, I got a second job at Chi-Chi's Mexican Restaurant. How many of y'all know about Chi-Chi's Mexican Restaurant? Come on, somebody. It's out of business now. But um, I got a job there as a busboy. And, and so I was working at Boston Market, and I was also working at Chi-Chi's. And it was my job as a busboy to clean the tables in a, in a speedy manner so that people could be seated there. It was also my job to, to make the chips and uh, stock the chip station and the salsa station. It was my job to, to do the dishes. And so I became an expert on the Hobart. How many of y'all know what a Hobart is? That's the, some of y'all, that's the machine that we use to clean the dishes with. But, but I was an expert on the Hobart. Like when I first started, I was terrible. But, but, but I could probably wash dishes faster than you. I, I don't wash dishes now. But um, anyway. So, so I, had, I had two jobs. I had one at Boston Market. I had one at Chi-Chi's Mexican Restaurant. And at this time, too, I was in high school. Like, I was 16 years old. And so I had two jobs, Boston Market and Chi-Chi's, going to school, getting A's and B's, sometimes a C. And I was an active participant in the church that I was at serving there. And I, I, I just let you know this. This is a side note. I just let you know this so that you understand that a little work never killed nobody right? Sometimes I meet parents and say, we don't want our child to have a job. We want him to focus on school. He needs to work too. Because studies tell us that kids who work while they go to school actually are more successful than those who don't. Plus it gives them all kinds of life experience, job experience. Anyway, that's not what I'm talking about today. So I had a job at Boston Market, had a job at Chi-Chi's, and then eventually I, I, I quit those jobs because I got a better job at Cinemark. 
And uh, Cinemark is a movie theater right at Military Circle Mall, because I grew up in the area. I used to go to Military Circle Mall all the time before it became a ghost town. And, um, but, but I worked at Cinemark as a, as a concession stand uh, operator. That, that sounds more glorified than it actually was. I was you know, I just worked in concessions. And, and it was my job to give people popcorn. And uh, it was also my job to give people more soda than any human should ever drink in one sitting. Because if you go to a movie theater and you get a large soda, they give it to you in like a gallon-sized cup. And so that was my job, though. I, I, I you know, I gave people um, diabetes. So, uh, and in my job description, uh, another thing that I had to do, and, and it wasn't written down, it was just kind of what was expected of me. It was my job to repeat myself over and 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 over again, asking the same question to everybody. Would you like butter on your popcorn? And I just want to tell you, it gets really annoying when you're serving people popcorn and they're like, could you put some in the middle and then put more popcorn on and then layer it on? Like, But that was my job. And... So, so I've, had, I've had all sorts of jobs since I started working at, at the age of 16. I worked at Boston Market, Chi-Chi's, I worked at Cinemark, uh, I, worked at, um, I worked at Old Navy, I worked at a sign company for a summer, uh, I worked at Express for a day, and I, I, worked, at, I worked at Starbucks, uh, I worked at a, a church as their student ministry pastor for seven years, and then I worked at another church as a church planter in residence, and, and, and then I became a church planter planting this church uh, just over four years ago, and, and so now my job is, is the pastor of this church. Uh, but I've had all sorts of jobs, and in every job that I've ever had, there's always been a job description, th- this list of things that were expected of me, uh, th- things that I needed to do if I wanted to succeed. And, and now, as a pastor, as somebody who employs people, uh, it's my job to also make job descriptions for people on our staff. And so I have to let them know, here's the expectations, and here are the wins for your job. If you want to succeed in this role, here's what's expected of you. And so it's my job to create job descriptions now. And, uh, and I'll let you in on, on a little secret. I don't, I don't know if you know this or not. But I actually have a job description for you. It's true. I have a job description for each and every one of you. Like, I have a job description with a list of expectations of things that you should do and things you shouldn't do. I have this list of things that you should be and shouldn't be. I have this list of things that you, of how you should act and how you shouldn't act. And so I have a job description for all of you. And before you get indignant and start thinking, like, what? And want to push back, let's be open. You have a job description for me too, don't you? I mean, you have a list of all the things that I should do and all the things that I shouldn't do. You have a list of all the ways that I should be and how I shouldn't be, how I should act and how I shouldn't act. And if we're getting even more real and going even deeper, you have a job description for your spouse, don't you? I mean, I have a job description for my kids, we all have a job description for our friends and our family and our coworkers. Like we all have this list of expectations of what people should do and shouldn't do, how they should act and how they shouldn't act, how they should treat us and how they shouldn't treat us. I mean, each and every one of us, we have job descriptions for people. And we come up with job descriptions like that. And even, even if you don't want to play along, you want to push back and be difficult, I mean, let's just be open. We all have job descriptions for drivers, right? 
Like, we have a list of expectations of how you should drive and how you shouldn't drive. And you know how many expectations you have for a driver based on how mad you get when you're on the road, right? If you get really mad, you have a lot of expectations for drivers. And you know that it's really bad when you start referring to people as states. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like you're driving down the interstate and somebody in front of you has a New Jersey license plate and you're like, come on, New Jersey, it's 55. That means you can drive 65. Let's go, New Jersey, right? Or you're like stopped at a stoplight and, and the person in front of you has a Florida license plate and it's like, come on, Florida, right turn on red, right turn on red, let's go, Florida. So you know how bad you are when you start referring to people as states. Um, but we all have a job description for people. And, and as much as I might not want to admit it, the truth is, I should on other people. And as, as much as you probably don't want to admit it, the, the truth is, you should on other people also. We all should on other people. Today we're, we're continuing this series called Should Happens. And uh, we're doing this series because the truth is, uh, well, should happens. And um, it doesn't have to, though. See, each and every one of us is, is guilty of being chronic shoulders in our life. And last week we talked about the truth that, that sometimes we should on ourselves. And this is just a list of expectations that we put on ourselves. We burden ourselves with all these things that we should do and we shouldn't do. And, and there's times where when we don't achieve it, we feel guilty and we feel like a failure. And we feel like, what's wrong with me? And, and last week we talked about how to get free. And ultimately it's by resting and grace. And, and so if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to the podcast. It's, it's on our website. It's also on iTunes. Um, but next week, as we continue the series, we're going to talk about the truth that sometimes we let others should on us. And then the last week of this series, we're going to talk about how we should on God. But today, I want to teach from this title. If you take a moment to write it down on your note card, uh, the title for today's sermon is, I Should on Others. I Should on Others. And when you finish writing that down, if you could uh, open it in your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And also, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can actually download one for free on your phone. If you just go to the App Store and you type in Bible, the first option to come up, not the ad that comes up, but the first like real option that comes up is by Life Church, and that's a great app for you to download. Uh, that way you have a Bible with you all the time. You can read it anytime you want. It's a great way for you to start reading the Bible if you're not currently reading the Bible. There's a bunch of plans that they have that you can access. Uh, you can also follow along with the sermon through that app. And so if you open up that app, you go to the events section, you'll find our church, and you'll see all the passages there, and you'll also see uh, all the notes there. But uh, the Bible app by Life Church is a great one to have. But we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We'll also have the words for on the screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, here, here's, here's what's happened. Jesus goes to uh, some of his friend's house just to kind of rest. So, so he, he launches into public ministry. He's in ministry for three years, teaching and preaching. Ultimately, he goes to the cross where he's crucified to bear uh, our sins so that we could have forgiveness. But before any of that happens, he's in ministry, he's preaching, he's teaching. He gets a little weary, and so he goes to some of his friend's house. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. So Mary sat at Jesus' feet. When it says the Lord's feet, it's talking about Jesus. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha 
was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I don't know if you caught it in the passage, but when Jesus walks into this house, he walks right in the middle of a should storm. I mean, here, let's, let's just go back and, and examine what happens, okay? It says that Jesus goes to Martha's house, and, and Jesus is friends with Martha. And Martha has a sister, Mary. They also have a brother named Lazarus. So Jesus walks into Martha's house, and the scriptures say that she welcomes him into the house, right? Like when you welcome somebody, it's warm, it's, it's accommodating, it's a privilege, it's an honor. I mean, Jesus is here. And so Jesus is their friend, but, but also it's amazing that Jesus is there at Martha's house because, I mean, Jesus is kind of a big deal. I mean, people follow Jesus around. He's becoming this big thing. People want to be around Jesus, and he's chosen to come to our house. And so it says that Martha welcomes him in. She's like a Chick-fil-A employee, right? She's like, it's my pleasure. Come on in, right? And so she welcomes him in. And then she starts thinking, you know what I'll do? I'll make a meal for Jesus. That would be so awesome. It'll be so great. I'll make him my best meal. He'll love it. And so she starts planning and preparing. And she thinks, okay, I'm going to make a meal for Jesus. But then she starts to think through all the details. And she thinks, okay, wait, it's not just Jesus. Like, Jesus rolls deep. I mean, he has an entourage of 12 guys. And so i got to cook for them, too. And then I got to eat, and Mary got, has to eat, and Lazarus, he has to eat. And so, so now I got to make a meal for 12, 13, 14, 15, like 15, 16 people. And, um, you know, the thing about Jesus is when he goes places, he often attracts crowds. And, I mean, our house is only so big, and so there might be like 10 other people who come over, or 15 or 40 other people who come over. And so now I got to cook for like 60 people. And what Martha does, and I know none of us would ever do this, but Martha does this. Martha blows things out of proportion, right? It's like Jesus is coming over. We're going to make a nice meal for him. And now all of a sudden, it's like master chef for 60 people. And I got to make this massive meal for all these people. And what happens with Martha is there's a shift in how she sees things. See, at first it says Martha welcomes Jesus. And here, come on in. And you can almost see the shift in this imaginary dialogue that I'm going to make up right now, okay? Because you know this happened, though. Imagine Martha. She's in the kitchen, and she's thinking, okay, i got to cook for all these people. So i got to cook the turkey. i got to cook the ham. i got to cook the mashed potatoes. i got to cook the, the, the sweet potatoes, and i got to make deviled eggs. You know, I was thinking about making 50 deviled eggs. That's a lot right there. But I think i got to make like 100 deviled eggs now because Judas, he's really into deviled eggs. I don't know why, but there's something about him. He likes these deviled eggs. And then Bartholomew, he's one of Jesus' followers. He's a vegetarian, and so now i got to make a soy turkey because that's a thing. And if I don't make him a soy turkey, people are going to think I'm insensitive, and so i got to make a vegetarian option. And then on top of that, Jesus, he really loves wine. I mean, there was that one time at the wedding of Cana, he made water into wine, and so I got to make sure I had plenty of wine for Jesus. And then, you know what? These people, these people are so particular. I mean, nobody has even taken notice of me here in this kitchen, slaving away for them. I I'm in here, and nobody's asked me how I'm doing. 
Nobody's asked me, what do I want? What do I think? And you know, no matter what I do, Peter is going to say something sarcastic because Peter always says stuff without thinking. You know what? These people can go visit somewhere else next time Jesus is in town. And we know, we know her attitude shifts because the scriptures say that she welcomed Jesus, but then later she goes to him and complains. She welcomes him warmly. Come on in, Jesus. This is so great. This is so amazing. Let me make a meal for you. And what was an honor and a privilege for her? What was a joy for her? Becomes an obligation. Becomes a life-sucking experience for her. Becomes a have to. It was a get to, but now it's a have to. And we know it because she goes to Jesus and says, isn't it unfair? Has anybody noticed me slaving away? Her, her perspective shifted in this moment. And when I, when I read that, I, I wonder, what happened? Because I don't care so much about Martha, but I care about us. Because I see this all the time in us. I see us start something, and it's such a joy. It's such an honor. It's such a privilege. I can't wait. And then it becomes this chore and this obligation, and I'm so weighed down, and I'm complaining. Now, what happened? The, the question that I ask is, who should on Martha? See, when I look back over the text here, let's, let's just read it again. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And I want to find, as we, as we read through this, see if you can discover who, who shoulds on Martha. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Welcomed him, welcomed him. Come on in, Jesus. This is so great. This is so amazing. I love it. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her, come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary's discovered it and it will not be taken away. From her, Mar Martha, 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 you're concerned about all these details. Who, who should on Martha? Well, when I look back over it, I mean, she's making this big meal, but I don't see Jesus shooting on her. Jesus isn't like, Martha, make sure you make this meal for us. He, he doesn't ask her for it. I don't see the disciples saying, hey, Martha, you should really make us some, some food because we're hungry. They, they don't do it. No, not even Mary shoulds on Martha. And so who should on Martha? Martha should on herself. And then she complains about it. I can't believe it. Martha should on herself and then goes and complains to Jesus about what she did to herself. Can you believe it? I mean, you could just see too, because she goes to Jesus. See, what happens is, is Martha puts this obligation on herself and nobody ever asks her to do it. And again, what was, you know what I should do? I would love to do this. Becomes an obligation. And maybe, maybe, maybe you hear this and, and you think this question, because I thought this question, because you got a little Martha in you, and, and I got a little Martha in me too. Yeah, but if Martha, so Martha comes up with this idea, she shoulds on herself, I should make this meal for them. But what if Martha didn't? 
What if Martha said, I'm not going to make any food? Well, then she's out of luck anyway. Because here's, here's what would have happened. See, these people, they would have come over and there'd be no food. And nobody asked her for food. Nobody said, hey, you should make this meal. But so she's there and she's like, la, 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 la. And then someone comes up there and like, hey, Martha, you got any food? She's like, no, I didn't make any food. And they're like, oh, well, you should have made food. You should have anticipated us being hungry. You should have expected us coming. What a terrible host you are, right? And so in this situation, it seems like Martha's out of, look, uh, out of luck because she's going to get shit on in either way. It's either I should make this meal and it becomes an obligation. And, and watch, when she shoulds on herself, she becomes a victim. Did you notice that? She becomes the martyr in the situation. I should make this meal. I'm the only one here. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's paying attention to me. No one's helping me. Poor little me. When she shits on herself, she becomes a victim. She's a martyr. But if she doesn't make the meal, she becomes a victim anyway. Martha, you should have made this meal. What a terrible host you are. Yeah, you're right. I should have. I'm a bad host. Now she feels sorry for herself and she becomes a victim. Either way, should is coming from everywhere. And she's a victim no matter what. But there's another way. There's, there's actually a, a, another way. There's a way out of this. And the way out of it is this. Watch this. You're going to want to write it down. The way out is if Martha didn't should on herself at all. Okay, you didn't write that down. I, I, I know, I know. That's not that profound. But it's so obvious. If Martha... Just said, and it's all about motivation, and it's what I talked about last week. It's a shift in perspective. Martha, when she begins to make the meal, it's a joy and a privilege, but at some point she allowed it to turn into an obligation. I should make this meal. What if instead of shooting on herself, Martha said, no, I want to make this meal. Whether anybody helps me or not, it doesn't matter because I want to do this. I have the desire to do this. Not because I'm obligated, not because I have to, not because I should, but because I want to. In that case, she doesn't become a victim. Nobody helped you out. Eh, doesn't matter. I wanted to. Nobody, nobody lent you a hand. Eh, doesn't matter. I wanted to. See, when she refuses to should on herself, she doesn't become a martyr. She doesn't become a victim. Anytime you hear someone using victim language, martyr language, is because at some point they've shit on themselves. But it's a shift in perspective that changes that, where it's, no, no, I want to. It doesn't matter if you do or not. I'm, not. I'm not looking for anything from you. I don't expect anything from you. You don't owe me anything. I want to. And so I can't be a victim in that. And then, and then the other way. Let's say she doesn't make the meal. Martha, you should have made a meal. You're a bad host. It's like, okay, well, yeah, sorry, I didn't make the meal. You should have thought ahead and brought some food if you were going to be hungry, right? That's what she could say. So either way, she says, I refuse to should on myself. I don't want to. I'm not going to. No big deal. And she refuses to let other people should on her. Eh, yeah, I get it. Probably could have made something, but eh, no problem. And, and some of you, like this, it doesn't sit well with you because you're like Martha. Man, it, it doesn't sit well with me because you're a type A personality, right? And I mean, this is how Martha is. Martha is the kind of person, and it's so difficult for her to buy into this. Okay, I'm not going to shit on myself. I'm not going to let others shit on me. It's so difficult because she's this type A personality. Like, she's the one that keeps everything together. And she has this sense of how things should be, 
right? Like, like she's the one who's, who's telling people, hey, don't forget your jacket. It's cold outside. She's the one who knows where everything is. Honey, your wallet's in the other room. Your keys are hanging up. And remember, the car needs an oil change. She, she's the one who she's at the party, and she's giving markers to everyone. And she's like, put your name on your solo cup. We only have so many. Don't lose your cup. And then somebody comes there, and they're like, I lost my cup. I gave you markers. You should have put your name on it. This is Martha, right? Martha's like following people around uh, when they leave rooms and she's turning the lights off after them. And she's like, what's wrong with you people? Martha's the kind of person who she would think, she might even say out loud, how have you stayed alive this long without me? I'm the one that holds everything together. This is Martha. And if you have this kind of personality, I get it, man, I'm there with you. But it's in these moments where we just have to let go and say, okay, things don't have to be like I want them to be. They should be that way. They, they, they should. They should. You don't understand. And I get it. There's a point where we have to say, I'm, I'm not going to give job descriptions to other people. I'm not going to hold other people up to my should. I'm not going to give them those expectations. And if I decide to do something, it's because I want to, not because I should, because I refuse to be a victim. I refuse to be a martyr in this. Because when I shit on myself, that's exactly what happens. And so Martha, 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 she shits on herself. And then what she does is um, she starts to feel sorry for herself. She becomes this, this martyr. And, and then she goes to Jesus. And, and this is the danger when you shit on yourself, you tend to shit on other people too. Martha shits on herself and then she goes to Jesus and she shits on Mary. But she doesn't shit on Mary directly. She shits on Mary through Jesus. So she shits on Jesus. Right? Look, she, she goes to Jesus. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. I should do this. I have to do this. People are looking at me, counting on me, expecting me. But by the way, if you sign up for something, follow through. Okay? Don't use my words and say, well, I don't have to do it because I should. No, no, no. If you sign up for something, follow through. Don't drop the ball. Don't leave people hanging. Change your attitude, change your perspective so it's not a have to, but I, I get to. I want to. That's why I'm following through because my word matters. My integrity matters. So I'm not shooting on you. I'm just telling you, if you sign up for something, follow through. Well, we just gave up on the marriage. I don't want to do it anymore because that's exactly what you promised each other when you stood in front of the altar. I will love you for the rest of my life until I don't want to anymore. <laughs> for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. But it's really hard. Yeah, welcome to marriage. Welcome to life. I just don't feel fulfilled at this job anymore. I think I'll, how about you find fulfillment and make it fulfilling? Don't quit. Don't flake out. Don't ghost on people. Not part of my sermon. Let me get back to the, let me get back to the it's too deep, it's too deep. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Shoot on her, Jesus. Tell her to come help me. Tell her to come help me. What, what Martha does here is the cousin of gossip. She, she gets bitter she gets resentful. She's in the kitchen banging around. She's like, this is not right. And then she goes to Jesus, and here's, here's, here's what she does. She's divisive. She's trying to build a team. Jesus, get on my side against Mary. That's what gossip does. 
This is the cousin of gossip. This is so close to gossip. She's divisive. She tries to build a team. She presents her perspective negatively. Doesn't it seem unfair to you? Can you believe? Can you believe the audacity of my sister sitting out here listening to you while I'm? And, and she has half-truths. She doesn't understand the full picture. And this is why gossip is so dangerous. Because when someone is gossiping, they're being divisive. They're forming teams. They're trying to get people on their side. They're presenting half-truths in a negative way. And this is why if you're a Christian, you should not partake in gossip. You should not listen to gossip. Right? And, and, and you've experienced this. Can you believe it? That Ricky is such a dog. I mean, he's dating Brittany, but he's seeing Tiffany. I know it. You know how I know? Because two weeks ago, I saw on Facebook, he liked one of Tiffany's posts, and then she liked one of his posts. Uh-huh. Evidence. And then last week, last week, they both checked into the same place. Sure, it was on two different days, but it was the same place. Ricky is seeing Tiffany. He's such a dog. I can't believe it. Right? And then all of a sudden, from this conspiracy theory, all this stuff comes up, and it's a, a should storm, but not the word should there. Um, it just becomes this, right? I can't believe it. I, I cannot believe it. I knew it. Can you, can you believe that Pastor Jack? He has a 24-karat gold-plated jacuzzi in his backyard. Can you believe that? And then people are wondering, what are they doing with all the money? I know what they're doing with all the money. That's why I don't go to that big church. Because I heard the pastors there, they spend money on limos and light-up shoes and meerkat skin underwear. I can't, I can't go to a church that's going to do stuff like that. And I heard that that pastor has a solid platinum diamond-encrusted toilet seat on his toilet. I hadn't seen it, but I heard it. And you know it's true. You know it's true. That's why church is so big. What do you think they spend all that money on? You know, I've, I've heard so many things about me that, that I didn't know I did, right? I, I've heard so many things about um, things I think and say and motives that I had no idea that I had. I was like, really? So that's what I'm doing. Is that right? You've heard the same about you. This is why gossip is so dangerous. This is why gossip is so toxic. And this is why we don't tolerate gossip in this church. Because it's divisive. This is why one of the values that we have as a church is believe the best. Because I've, I've been in ministry long enough to meet too many cynical, negative, pessimistic Christians. And I just said, man, I don't want to lead a church like that. Because it leads to splits and, and arguments and quarrels and sideways energy. That's why as a church we're known for what we're for and not what we're against. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you hear any bit of gossip, go to the source. Right? And if you hear any bit of gossip, you shut it down. Because the last I checked, our goal is not to be like Martha. That's what Martha's doing. Can you believe? Isn't it unfair? Our goal is to be like Jesus. And what does Jesus do with Martha? He shuts that should down. He says, no way. I'm not going to should on Mary. Here's Martha. She comes to Jesus. And, and you know this is how the conversation goes. Hey, hey, Jesus. I don't know if you knew this or not. You probably couldn't hear me in the kitchen. I mean, I did bang a few pots and everything. And yeah, I was breathing kind of hard. I was just, it's a lot of work in there because I'm all by myself. M Martha, Martha, ain't nobody asked you to do all that. 
Jesus, that's your problem. You're always interrupting people with truth. How about you just listen to what I'm trying to tell you? I'm in the kitchen slaving away all by my lonesome, and y'all out here lollygagging. My sister, she's sitting right here. You should tell her to come help me. And imagine Jesus just, just said to her, Martha, Martha, again, ain't nobody ask you to do all that. You're shooting on yourself. Martha, we're here in Luke chapter 10. And I don't know if you remember or not, but back in Luke chapter 9, I fed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves of bread and two fish. If we needed to really have a meal tonight, I could snap my fingers and I could feed everybody. Martha, you're missing what matters most. Listen, I love it that you want to serve, but your serving has become stained with should. And so, listen, I want you to serve. That's great, but I want it to be an opportunity, not an obligation for you. And you're missing what's most important in the moment and it's that I'm here but I'm like John Cena you can't see me because you're focused on the should all around you're focused on the dishes you're focused on the baking that needs to happen but your sister Mary understand what matters most understands what matters most and I'm not going to should on her just because you want me to instead how about you come on out and join her see when we should on ourselves, the danger is that we begin quickly shooting on other people because they should be like me and they're not living up to my standards and my expectations. And so Martha shoulds on Mary. And the truth is sometimes we should on other people. But I wanna, I wanna point out the danger in shooting on others and then I wanna show you how to stop. Shooting on others. Here's, here's the danger when we should on other people. When, when I should on other people, I play God. When I should on other people, I play God. Here's what, here's what God says in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And so God says, I know the plans that I have for each and every one of you. And the plans I have for you are to prosper you. Not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. That's what I want for you. And because of that, you should do what I call you to do so that you'll live in these plans. See, the only one qualified to should on us is God. Because he's perfect. And he knows the plans he has for us. But when I begin shooting on people, I set up a list of expectations and I say, you should do all the things I want you to do. Because I know you just heard Jeremiah 29.11, but I don't think you've heard me 29.11. See, here's what me 29.11 says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares me. Plans for you to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to do whatever I ask you to do and you are to do them. See, when I should on other people, I give them what my plans are. I give them a list of expectations I expect for them to do. And all the things I want you to do benefit me. And so when I should on other people, I play the role of God. The problem with me playing the role of God is I'm imperfect. I don't have perfect plans for you. When I play the role of God... I put my imperfect plans on you. And if you buy into the should I shove on you, you start to live in an imperfect plan. 
And that's why it causes stress and heartache and difficulty in our relationship. See, God is the only one qualified to shoot on us, but the great thing is he chooses not to. I want to tell you about that in a moment, but, but first let me, let me warn you about the danger of when I should on people and when you should on people. Jesus actually told us about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He said, don't judge or you too will be judged. Now there's so much in this, I don't have time to get into all of it, but this is not saying, um, hey, if you're a Christian, it is my role, it is your role to hold other Christians accountable, right? And so um, you're a Christian, following Jesus, and then someone scrolls through who's a Christian, and they see your feed, and it's like, man, Friday night was great. I got plastered, and it was awesome. (laughs) Well, if someone comes to you and says, hey, fellow brother or sister in Christ, believer in Jesus, we believe in the same book that tells us how we should live, you shouldn't do that. Your proper response is not, don't you judge me. Stop trying to shit all over me. No, 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 no. Because what they're doing is they're just telling you what God's plan is. Here's what God says in his word. I'm just holding you accountable to that, right? So, so it's not that. But when Jesus talks about don't judge or you too will be judged, it's, you know, it, it's, it's here's what my opinion is. Here's what my perspective is. You know, you shouldn't do that. Okay, I, I get it. That's where you're coming from. That's different. And so we are to hold one another accountable to what God's word says. So when he says don't judge, he's not, gonna, he, he, he's, he's not talking about holding people accountable to what God's word says. But, but it's also about judging people's motives too. Because I don't know your motives. Well, you must have thought, I, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your mind. And so I can't label that. I can just call out the action that I see. So he says don't, don't, don't judge. Don't, don't shit on other people or, or you'll be shit on too. For the same way you judge others, you should on others, you'll be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And here's the idea. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, let me take this small little thing out of your eye, when all the time there's this plank, there's this two-by-four sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is also saying too, like, before you hold someone to God's standard, make sure you're living at it yourself. I get it, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. None of us have it all together. The scenario here is Hey, hey you, you should probably stop cussing. You're right. God's word says, rid all filthy language from your lips. Yep, you're right. But if, if you're going to tell somebody, hey, hey, you should probably stop cussing, don't, don't be living in such a way where they could come back at you and say, yeah, but you're sleeping with your girlfriend. <laughs> right? Take, take the plank out of your eye before you try and take the speck out of someone else's eye. All Jesus is saying is live accountable, live according to my word. And so he says, when you shit on someone else, someone else could very well come back and shit on you. So just make sure that your life is good. So if someone does come back, you can be like, yeah, there's nothing there. Like there's nothing I'm ashamed of. There's nothing that, that's not above reproach. And so 
He says, uh, in the same way you shit on other people, they'll, they'll shit on you. Um, and the truth is, we, we can't do this when we haven't gotten our lives straight. And so I just want to ask you, is there anything in your life you need to get rid of? Is, is there any way that you're living right now that doesn't line up to God's word and it's time for you to say, that's it. We're moving out. We're going to wait until we get married because we're not even going to have a hint of sexual immorality in our life. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this God's way because I just believe what God says and that's how I want to live my life. You're right. I mean, I've been robbing from God by not returning the tithe and so I'm going to start bringing the tithe back to God because I want my life to line up with God's way of life. Yeah, you know, there's, there's something about my attitude, man. I just lose it. I lose my temper every time. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say, not today, devil. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I'm going to take a breath. And I'm going to say, wait, Jesus is calling me to have self-control. And so I can control. Is there anything in your life that you need to remove? Are there any planks that, I mean, you're just walking around and you're like hitting people with your planks and you can't even, is there anything, is there anything, is there anything that you need to remove? Because see, the danger is when we should on other people, we're, we're imperfect people shooting on imperfect people. And maybe you say, okay, wait, but, but there are some things that people should do, right? I mean, there are some good shoulds. And so are you saying I can't good should on someone? Because, I mean, just think about it. There are some good shoulds out there. And these aren't necessarily something God says, but, I mean, you want your spouse to turn in their resume to their dream job, but they're too afraid. That's a good should, right? You want your kids to study so they'll pass the test. That's a good should. You want your friend to hit the gym with you because they're, they're out of shape and you're concerned for them and you want them to get in shape. That's a good should, you want your parents to, to get out and make friends because they're stuck at home. Good should. And so what do we do? Are you saying I can't good should on people? What do I do? What do I do? Here, here's, here's, here's what we do. Again, God is the only one qualified to should on us, but he chooses not to. And I mean, I just want you to think about all the times you've been should on. Did you ever have a, a parent who like held you to this level of perfection and if you didn't achieve, if you didn't uh, get it right, if you, they just came down on you, did that inspire you to do what they wanted you to do? No. Did it motivate you to want to get out of their house quicker? Yes. If you had a boss who just had this expectation that, that, that you should uh, work all the time, you should work on the weekends, and if you didn't get something right, they chastised you, they blew up at you, they cussed at you. Did that motivate you to want to do your job better? No. Did it motivate you to want to quit? Yes. When people should on us, it doesn't inspire us to want to do what we should. God is the only one qualified to should on us, but he chooses not to. Here's, here's God's approach for each and every one of us. Romans 12, uh, 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God is kind with us. Why? So that we'll do what we should. 
He inspires and motivates us to do what we should through kindness, through his love, his patience. Here's another passage. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no. What teaches us to say no? The grace of God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What prompts us to do what we should? God's grace. And so God is the only one qualified to should on us, but he chooses not to. Instead, he chooses to love us into what we should do, to be patient with us so that we'll see that and do what we should do. And you've experienced this in your own life, right? I mean, you had a grandparent who they loved you unconditionally, and you would do anything they said, right? Why? Not because they should on you, but because they loved you. You had a teacher who invested in you, and you worked harder in their class than you did in any other class. Why? Not because that teacher should on you, but because they invested in you. They cared about you. You had a coach who inspired you, who pulled the potential out of you, and you played harder for that coach than you've ever done in your life. Why? Not because they should on you, but because they inspired you and pulled that potential out of you. And so, yeah, there are some good shoulds. But the way you present that to people is not by shooting on them, but by loving them. You know, when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, he was born with a job description. His job description was to live a perfect life, a life we can't live. His job description was to go to the cross and die the death we deserve, paying for our sins. But do you know why Jesus went to the cross and did his job? Not because he should, but because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus did what he should because of love, not of obligation. And in the same way, he calls you to be greater. God gives us a job description to be more like Jesus, to live life to the full. But God doesn't place that job description on us as a should. He hopes and desires that you'll live up to it because he loves you. You want to help people be all that they could be? Don't should on them. Inspire them. Motivate them, love them, give them grace and compassion because this is what God does with us. I don't know if you've ever made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and you rose again from the dead. And because of your great love for me, not because my parents said I should, not because I grew up in church, not because I'm scared of hell, but because of your great love for me, I want to follow you. I want to give you my life and be baptized into you. If you've never made that decision, I want to give you a chance to do that today. When you came in, you received a note card, and at the bottom of that note card is a connect card. And at the bottom of that connect card, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ as my Savior and be baptized. If you're ready to accept Jesus as your Savior because you know that you know that you know that he loves you, would you fill out that card mark that box and drop it off at the black tables. We've got some people there who would love to talk with you about your decision to get baptized and to say yes to Jesus, not out of obligation, but out of love. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion where members from our VIP team are going to come down and they're going to pass out trays 
And in these trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some juice or some bread. And that's there to remind us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The top cup has some juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. And we observe communion each and every week just to remind us that God loves us. He doesn't shut on us. And my hope is as you take communion, as we play this next song, that it's a time for you to examine your life and to say, God, what are the things in my life that don't align with you? I'm ready to get rid of them. Not because the pastor on stage said I should, not because I feel obligated to, but because I wanna love you more and I wanna become more like you. So you can feel free to take communion as this past. Would you pray with me? God, I wanna thank you so much for your great love and your mercy and your compassion. So many of us have loaded ourselves up with should and I pray that you help us expel it. God, many of us have expectations that we have for other people, and I pray that today you would help us come to a place where we can go to our spouse, we can go to our friends, we can go to our coworkers and just say, I've been shooting on you for a while, and I'm gonna stop. Because I wanna inspire you, I wanna love you, I wanna show the same grace to you that God has given to me. God, help us get free from the shit today. Jesus, thank you that you don't shit on us, but you love us. And may that be the reality for each and every one of us today, that we're loved. We're loved. We're loved. In Jesus' name, amen. You can feel free to take communion. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.